Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. interview last week was so good that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. If you missed last week, you'll find the link in the show notes. It's not mandatory that you listen, but we want to make sure that you don't miss out on this amazing conversation. Hi, everyone. It's Roxanne Durhodge. Thanks for tuning in again this week with Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today, I'm privileged to have um, a colleague uh, that has so many similarities um, in the field of mental health um, coming on today. Uh, her name is Ronke Kamalafte. Am I saying that wrong? So uh, pronounce it properly. Kamalafi. Kamalafi. I like yeah. that's That's really pretty when you say it the way you say it. Kamalafi, Ronke Kamalafi. Ronke and I <clears throat> ha- are uh, both um, Forbes um, council members. I am the chair and I was lucky enough, I think I met uh, Ronke about about eight months ago now when uh, I believe she was already a member and I was probably just beginning myself. So today what we're going to talk about is mental health. I was tired of always having computer screens in front of me. I needed to disconnect and that really helped energize me. For some people could be going camping. I've even done it where in my own house, I would turn off my internet for a week or for, you know, or for a few days and tell my family to call me on like I message and it feels like a vacation. I never knew turning off your internet could really feel like you were on vacation. Well, I, th- I think that's a great point. And, um, you know, I think, you know, having chose the field that I did quite young, um, that's what they don't teach you in grad school, first of all. They touch on how you take care of yourself. But it was something I, I when I worked with the Metro Toronto Police, like I said, it was the first um, job that I had out of university. And what it showed me was that this, you know, being my head was the most important space that I need to really, really listen to that space because I was, you know, you're, you know, when you're in crises, you know, you're, you're in, you're, you're, you know, you're the first responder, you're first up. And I, at that point, I was part of a team that was the first responders dealing with the victims of crime. So oftentimes the crime had just occurred. The, the scene was barely cleaned up and we were there um, on site to help the victims of crime. And of course, your body and your brain, uh, Ronke, is wired for that. And I'm wired for that. You know, a bit of a, you know, I think you have to be a bit of adrenaline junkie to do a bit of what I did. But slowly what it started to show me was like, I would be on, on, on. And I worked probably 10 out of 31 days because they knew the impact on uh, human beings. And then when we dealt with difficult cases, I li- it literally took me sometimes 24 hours just to come back down. Mm-hmm. So you think about that cyclical element of you know the human capacity, we are wired for short-term bouts of stress but it's the prolonged effect, which is what you were describing, that at that point, you're trying to replenish by all the things that should give you that bump back. And, and you're just not get, being able to kind of 
um, find that timing again, because you need to just go, you've gotten so deep, you know, with uh, depletion that it takes you a while just to be able to build back up. And I think finally, um, fortunately or unfortunately with the pandemic, it has shown all of us um, in employees, leaders, CEOs, that we really, we really, really need to start to listen to what people are needing when they say, I really, uh, you know, like when you went to your, what guts it took to be able to go and say, Hey, I'm, 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 I'm on the way that now people are starting to say, you know, none of those conversations we used to slight, we have to really, really take seriously because people aren't able to just come back and bounce back like they used to, because they're, they're depleted. A lot more people are depleted. Hence why we're seeing such a surge in anxiety and depression as well. Yeah, and I want to touch on something um, that you said about the pandemic, which part of my role in healthcare is regulatory affairs, right? Assessing what the healthcare industry would look like from a regulatory perspective in a year, in three years, in five years, in 10 years, looking at bill, bills and laws that have been put in place and the policies that need to be implemented, both on, on Medicare, Medicaid, and commercial basis, right? I think once the pandemic happened, in all reality, uh, I remember as soon as the, the uh, March 20th, I remember writing a memo and sending it to my marketing team. I'm like, hey, we need to get ready for telehealth. Medicare just said, you know, um, services are shut down. They're recommending telehealth. This is going to go statewide, 50 states, get ready. And they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, okay, it's part of my job. Another assessment I did, <laughs> um, COVID is gonna last until 2021. And they're like, what? I'm like, hey, from, a, from an economical perspective, we didn't just shut down the country. There was already a plan in motion. There were individuals who were experts who evaluated this. COVID and the impact of it would be you know, all the way until 2021 December. My analysis, I didn't even know it would go all the way to 2022, right? Like, so let's prepare what we are going to do from a healthcare perspective to be okay. Now my third analysis, mental health. You shut people down, isolation, loneliness, one of the key reasons people have depression, people have mental health issues, we will see a surge in mental health conditions. Mm -hmm. Let's yeah. be prepared. And for myself, I texted all my friends. I have quite a few friends in mental health. And I said, uh, mental health issues are gonna be on the rise. What can we do as friends to support each other so we don't have that? And my friend is like, we just have to all quarantine together and improve <laughs> our social lives and create a yes. schedule, yes. right? We need to work out. We're all going to work from home. We know that. Grocery shopping, how do we handle that? And we developed a social schedule that everybody aligned to. I think during the lockdown, that was the most social I saw, <laughs> the most social <laughs> interaction I have with my friends, right? You were all available and you were all safe, right? Nobody was interacting outside of the group. So we knew we were safe. Nobody was gonna get us um, in contact with COVID. But we did the assessment quick to ensure there was no, oh, my fourth assessment was PTSD. Mm -hmm. People who did all of this will not only have mental health issues, but will have PTSD. And people mm -hmm. who are mentally healthy may have PTSD and not really understand it's PTSD. Right. A lot of what I'm seeing right now in, in, in the workplace and even with my colleagues and friends is we call it the COVID PTSD. Mm -hmm. I, I get these calls every week. I, I would say at this point, maybe once or twice a month, it used to be every week, where I would have professionals, healthcare professionals, executives tell me, Honky, I'm okay, but I'm not okay. I don't know what's going on. 
Yeah. You know me, and I'm like, oh, let's let's look at this. This is COVID. Oh, but the, you know, during the quarantine, I did this and I did that. I'm like, it's not just about the social or emotional isolation. It's about the stress and the fear of the unknown that was impacted. What did you do to prevent this to be from becoming a traumatic situation? I don't watch TV. So for me, as soon as I heard about COVID, I had to read all the regulatory requirements to make my prediction. But I did, I did this instead of doing this at four or five hour increments, I would stop every hour and just meditate for like five minutes. Cause I'm like, uh-uh, what I'm reading and analyzing will not have a long-term effect on me. I refuse to let that happen. But I think COVID, has created an environment of PTSD that people don't even understand. Clinicians are not understanding how to even diagnose this because it's very different. You know, I had somebody tell me, you know, they could easily bounce back. They can feel they have the strength to bounce back, but something is just not there. They don't know what. I'm like, COVID PTSD, your therapist, go figure it out. And she came back about a month later. She's like, you're right. I have PTSD from COVID. I'm still walking through it. I'm better. She's like, it's not depression. It's not anxiety. It's not a phobia. It's, I mean, PTSD is anxiety, but it's not phobia. It's not the type of anxiety that everybody's used to. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is different. So imagine, you know, mentally you're going through, I'm not going to go see my mom who is sick and on her deathbed because of COVID. You know, some dad passed away. Um, funeral is all virtual, but we are saying we don't have COVID. You know, you go through the grief. I mean, there are different levels and stages of the PTSD people have as a result of, as a result of COVID. Then there's that walk stress of are people going to lose your job, right? People that are getting laid off left and right, financial stress, health stress for the entire world that we've never seen. And there's the social media impact of it where People are getting on social media and there's a lot of fear and misinformation being provided. Um, you get, you watch your TV, which I don't watch TV, but every time I, you know, I, I go to the gym or something, something is on about COVID and it's not positive. It's always negative. Long-term effect, it's affecting everybody at work. So I think for um, employers, what I would recommend is asking and, and, and creating a knowledge awareness Mm-hmm. to say we've had this this is what we're hearing assess yourself and see if you have this and what resources you would need from us you know you can bring a professional in to educate people about what this looks like but something has to be done and each individual has to take ownership to say what's this going to look like you know i was talking to a primary care doctor um a few months ago, and she was telling me when, you know, since COVID happened, and now that they're aware of the mental health impact of COVID, one of the things they do is they do alcohol usage and alcoholism, why not because of COVID, they do alcohol screening, they do anxiety and depression screening, which is like the medication was prescribed for anxiety and depression has gone up. Yes, we're addressing the symptoms. Can we address the triggers causing the symptoms? Because if we address the triggers causing the symptoms, mm-hmm. then we can provide a more lifelong solution where people don't have to be on medication forever. Right, and that's the first option, right? Like people say, well, do I need medication? <laughs> and when you start to say to them is, okay, tell me, you know, help me understand what you've gone through. Like, what are your relationships like? You know, what, what is your environment like? What is your 
What with the people around you, your family, your partner, your children, those types of things. What are your friendships like? And they go, what does that all have to do with anything? And I go, well, you know, we can, we can go put you on the, the anti-anxiety, which is going to give you that temporary relief, which is maybe going to make you feel a little bit less anxious, but ultimately the, the root cause still exists, right? So I think having more of those discussions, I think people are more open to it now. And it's nice to hear that the healthcare professionals are looking deeper because previously, you know, it'd be like when I was practicing, you know, years ago, doctors would say, well, what does that have to do with anything? It's a physical symptom. I'm like, well, it's the whole body. And, you know, therapists were considered, you know, get out of your ivory towers. You you know, you're all about fluff. And now look at we, us, you know, 25 years later, and we're recognized, starting to finally integrate our body and our mind is one and the same. So if we look at an overall strategy of both, whether you go to the doctor, you go to the therapist, you have to keep both, you know, ends of the continuum in mind. And I always go, that you can start off, you know, being mentally unwell, but you can swing all the way up to mental illness if you don't address it based on the duress or the, you know, the impact of traumatic events like uh, things like COVID or the traumas that people have already been through prior to COVID. What are, what is happening to that percentage of people now where this this general mistrust too of others? I don't know if you've experienced that, but a lot of people goes, you know, uh, my partner just got COVID. He just went away. He's like. I want to know who gave it to me. I'm like, how is that possible? <laughs> he goes, well, I was fine and I was home. And I'm like, unless you can find a needle in a haystack, you're not going to find this. He goes, well, somebody, I'm like, yeah, obviously somebody gave it to you, but you got on a plane, you were playing ball, all that stuff, but you still see that general sense of who did it kind of thing, which is that complete macro of a lack of trust and if we are not trusting, we're not feeling safe, which makes that whole element of dysregulation go to an exponential level even further, right? Our alarms, bells are going off all the time and we're not shutting off to go back to, to the parasympathetic or the relaxed state. So to your point, what you're saying, post, you know, COVID PTSD, I could, you know, maybe there will be that definition of what it looks like and how it's different or what similarities it has to anxiety and depression. I think um, that's an important topic for sure. Yeah, and I think, you know, to touch on what you said about trust, right? Trust is very important. And that's one of the things COVID took away from us. So here's a typical COVID scenario, right? <laughs> um, you, you, uh, you're going to the grocery store, people no longer felt comfortable touching the cart, right? We had to, you know, grocery stores had to wipe it down for us. Then we wipe it down ourselves. You go to the grocery store, you're trying to touch something and you, somebody else touched it before. You know, <laughs> people come into the house, they jump straight and put everything in the washer and wash it. I mean, the level of insecurity, feeling unsafe, <laughs> that we, we all went through, even though I didn't go through the physical and social and emotional isolation. I went through that, the social. Of course feeling socially unsafe six feet oh my god you're four feet close your mask is not well put in <laughs> you know i mean you touch i mean it, the level or you cough in public like i have allergies oh. and i remember every time i coughed um even now when i'm traveling again and what happens to me is because when i'm under the mask when we had to wear them on the planes 
my throat would get drier because of my, so I would like load up on my antihistamines before getting on a plane. And still I would cough because of the, you know, the carbon monoxide under the, the mask. And then you would, you'd see people looking at you, and you're thinking, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and human beings are meant to embrace and love upon each other and feel safe yeah. and secure. That's one of the things we need for our nervous systems. Right. Um, but yet we're not able to have that. Even at the grocery store, gas station, you holding the handle at the gas station, gas stations had to give us napkins and hand sanitizer, at least in Arizona. I can't speak for all the other states, but in, the, in Arizona, um, Arizona did a fantastic job with COVID, you know, in the extent of the prevention. Not everybody would agree with that. But what I mean by that is compared to other states, because I got to travel quite a bit during COVID, in comparison to other states, Arizona had hand sanitizers in almost all the stores. Mm. You know, so you're walking in, there's a hand sanitizer, there's a disinfectant. You know, some states were just like, don't come in, we don't have any, just don't show up. No, right. but Arizona was open, right? So they had the right. wear your mask, use your hand sanitizer rule going on, which helped a little bit, but it was it still made all of us feel unsafe. I mean, in 2020, I'm wearing masks in America. Are you kidding me? I would have paid millions of dollars in 2019 to tell you that would never happen. Not in America. We have this. Yes, maybe not. You know, maybe other country. parts of the world, but not not. You're so oh, right. Not in North America. Yeah, yeah. We got so, that. So this dialogue about mental health—that's you know—it's something that should have been happening. I would say, you know, 15 years ago, and it's you know. Five years ago, we knew it, but now it's it's, it's a non-negotiable. So for employers listening out there or senior teams, and, and some of them I'm sure have done a lot of things. I'm going to assume that a lot of environments have gone on, made sure they had you know, EAP services and flex benefits and all those things. What are some of the recommendations? Now, people are probably still seeing this impact we're talking about, okay? What, what might be a couple of things that you might tell them to consider or questions to ask themselves if they look at their committees, their wellness committees, their health and benefits, um, the short-term and long-term disability, and just, just overall health strategies for the environments that they're in. How do you feel when you're about to get to work, logging into the computer in the morning or driving to work? What's your level of anxiety? Most employers don't want to know that. There's a risk to that. There's a liability risk to asking that question but the immediate supervisors can ask it in a one-on-one, -on -one, right? I used to, when I had a, a lot of people reporting to me, every one-on-one -on -one started or ended with, are you happy? You can mm -hmm. rephrase it in a way it doesn't cost liability. To get the feedback, you need to better support them, right? Because it looks different for everybody and a company cannot implement all the services it needs, but acknowledging and hearing the voice of people does begin healing in people as opposed to ignoring people. Does that make sense? So if somebody tells you they have anxiety coming to work or they don't want to come to work, why? Maybe it's traffic, not actually the work. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I used to, um, there was a time I, um, not everybody works remotely, right? But at least the people I work with. Um, back then I used to tell my employees before COVID, if you ever wake up in the morning, you don't feel like driving, you have the right to walk from home way before COVID. Just all you have to do is text me. Don't just decide to walk from home. Text me, email me, don't call me. 
<laughs> text me or email me. Let me know you're working from home. That's all I need. So I'm not looking for you or expecting you to be present in the meeting that you're calling in, calling in for. Um, it just helps us to be more cohesive as a team. Send an email to me and the rest of the team so we know where you are. Um, because for me, that was the feedback I got from one of my employees. You know, the anxiety of getting stuck in traffic for, for an hour and a half. And it's not her fault. It's because one of the kids couldn't sleep or she's on her way to work. She was called back from the daycare, something. It's okay. So I think the flexibility and asking employees how they're doing and what they need. We can't meet everybody where they are, but we can do the best that we can. You know, um, the, the EAPs, I think EAPs are great. I used the EAP for a couple of my employees. Um, had an employee come into my office one time. She, as soon as she opened the door, was like, oh no, you're about to have a panic attack. And she's like, no, I'm good. Three days later, she comes, she comes into my office and has a panic attack. Literally, she could not breathe. She was in her office. She runs in. And I could tell this was going to happen. I saw it coming and I kept trying to, you know, she had a lot going on. But as soon as it happened, she we had a safe place to go. And, you know, we did everything we could for her to be okay. I had another employee who came to my office in tears one day. And I'm like, she started to talk. And I'm like, what you're talking about is very personal. I'm okay hearing it, but are you going to be comfortable with me in two weeks? So let's have you talk to EAP first. And after that, if you still feel like talking to me, I'll be all, all ears. Because I feel like the EAP would have helped her process her emotion. Well, yeah. where by the time she talks to me, she would not be, um, not have regrets or feel like she had divulged too much information to the point too of many personal information and for her to back up yeah and it's knowing having that bridge right like when I worked as an executive that was the majority of our training right like how do you support and deliver to the EAP make sure they get the right support do the proper appropriate follow-up but so ultimately they can come back to work and be able to focus again on performance with with having you know the ability to function so I think you're you're absolutely right so just something as simple as how are you doing? How are you doing? Yeah, team building. Yes. You know, yeah. um, it's interesting as leaders, right? We go into meetings and we just want to speak. We want to tell people what's going on, bring them up to date. You know, make sure they're aware. It's great and it's excellent. Let your employees also speak. Have them lead the meetings. You yeah. know, let them let them lead their peer-to-peer -peer discussion about how they're doing as opposed to a leader doing it, right? Because, you know, um, I love going to lunch with my employees. They don't like going to lunch with me. They're like, oh, no, it's lunch with the I boss. Mean, I mean, exactly. For me, it's going to lunch with my employees, right? Yes, yes. Um, the professional relationship is already there. I'm comfortable with them. They're not comfortable going to lunch with me. And it took me a year to find out. Oh, you guys don't like our regular Tuesday lunch? You should have told me. Okay. And I would like to take maybe two or three people as opposed to the entire team. So what mm -hmm. I did was I just changed it to a monthly lunch with everybody. And mm -hmm. I let them plan it and I show up and I don't even speak. You know, I let them just chit chat. Or we would have happy hour where they're more relaxed. And I make sure I'm not leading. I step back and let them be themselves. Right. But I realized they're not as comfortable. And mm -hmm. as a leader, I don't know why. It's not that I, you know, because I ask if it's not that I'm a bad leader or they feel uncomfortable, but they want to have that level of respect and professional relationship with me. And for me, I have already had that with them. It's natural. It's, you know, I'm even unaware of it because it's so normal. 
but for right. them it's almost I don't want to be overly uh, overly comfortable with her to the point where you know I say or do something wrong which you know I'm like so to have that healthy happy um kind of buffer between them and you um, yeah, and then also to allow them the space so that they could just be really really open mm-hmm. with their yeah. peers yeah, yeah. yeah. Peer and, and evaluate what's out there there's some mm-hmm. social media sites um that are very great. Um, we all use Slack, we use Teams, we use different levels of engagement. As a leader, jump on and socialize with them. Mm-hmm. Having them feel a sense of safety really matters because uh, COVID made us feel unsafe, right? So if we're looking at long-term effects of COVID in a workplace, it's now making employees feel safe, right? Now the, the unsafeness that everybody's feeling out there is the layoffs happening, right? We see all these big companies that we think are financially viable, laying people up. As a leader, you may have limited control over that, but let your employees know you care. Let them know you f- they can feel safe with you. And that comes in with just being able to have a conversation on Slack. I walked with a, a great leader recently. Every morning she would check in, at mm-hmm. least every day, because sometimes she's in meetings for five, six hours, she can't. But she would check in, how's everybody doing? This is how my day is. And she would send an emoji. You know, it could be a happy, sad, stressed out emoji, but yeah. Yeah. would let people open up and then people would tell you, oh my God, I'm on my sixth cup of coffee or no, I had to go meditate. No, I had to go run for like three minutes, you yeah. know, and then you can easily reach and be like, are you okay individually? But she opens and provides that safe harbor for people to really talk. So I think there's lots of programs out there. You need to engage with professionals who really, this is their area of expertise. Um, everybody's creating a wellness, you know, um, team. But if you're assessing the teams you're bringing in, right, what's their strategy? How do they evaluate their strategy? What's their short and long-term outcomes? How, how are employees engaging in this, right? So I think there's a lot that employees need to do, but it's not a cookie cutter. It's Absolutely a not. ongoing yeah. program. Yeah. Well, Ronke, this has been amazing. So I, I need to be able to tell you that Ronke and I um, have a lot of similarity, but w- what we're also going to be doing is we're going to be doing an event together coming up um, on May 8th. Um, and Ronke, so March 8th. Oh, my goodness. I just had a brain freeze there. March 8th. And it's um, uh, Ronke, tell, tell them the, uh, the title and the time. Um, and then we'll be putting out a lot more um, social in the next week about the events. So tell everyone a little bit about the event, and then we'll wrap up things on this end. Oh, thank you so much, Roxanne. So the event is about women. March 8th is Women's International Day. As women, um, women have a lot in common, not just by being women across the world and having different feminine or masculine features and workplace uh, experiences. But we want to support each other, empower women, empower each other, right? That's the slogan I always love to say. So our focus on our event is women in leadership, how to pave the way forward. How do we empower each other to continue to succeed in our personal and professional lives? How do we pave the way forward for the people, for the women coming um, behind us and for the ones who are our peers who have not had the same leadership opportunities than, that we've had? And how do we continue to graciously appreciate the women who have paid it forward for us, right? So this event is really, I think it's the speakers who are going to be speaking. There's one of the most exciting part of the events because they're coming with real life experiences of what it means to be a woman 
and leadership and how they paved it forward or plans to continue to pave it forward. And we'll be touching on mental health, on workplace um, environment and how to succeed in a place where you're the only woman or the youngest woman or the oldest woman or you're just feminine. Um, how to really be able to express yourself as a woman in a way that is acceptable and not seen as being bossy or being seen in a negative way. How do we as women strengthen ourselves mentally, socially, professionally to succeed? So we'll touch on a lot of topics. So um, I hope your viewers can tune in too. And yes, we'd love, yeah, we'd love to see you all there. And it's going to be March 8th, uh, 12 p.m. Uh, Central Time. And to look out on our socials um, and you'll see uh, the ability to go on the link and sign up. So what, are, what am I hoping that you got today and what did I get? I think it's as simple as uh, we are whole beings. We are not just our bodies. We are also our minds and we have to get back as best as possible or we all as individuals and leaders need to think about safety and that lens that we have not recaptured since what we've gone through post-COVID. Um, try to ask the simple things, the basic things that maybe you would have learned as a child when you met someone, a basic smile or how are you doing today or what is new. Sometimes those basic things might open the door to some uh, opportunities that may be standing right in front of you, but you not may not be aware. So um, be gentle and kind uh, as much as you can. Uh, and, you know, once that's oftentimes what all that people need to just be able to start to open up. So Ronke, thanks so much again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spending your time and for everyone for listening in. If you're needing any more information, um, reach out to me at roxanderhodge.com and I'd be willing to uh, share any kind of support that you're needing. And also Ronke's information. Ronke, where can they get a hold of you if they're needing to connect? Um, feel free to email me. You can find me on LinkedIn, Dr. Ronke Kamalafi um, on LinkedIn, or you can email me at info at IP as in Paul, B as in boy, H as in house, A, um, and I'll be more than happy, dot com, sorry, um, info at IBPHA.com. I'll be more than happy to answer any questions or provide any help you need. And all those uh, um, pieces of information will be in the show notes as well. Thank you again, everyone. Have a great week and we'll chat with you next week. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.